The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are watching Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. I'm joined by my co-host, Katie Zaccardi. Hi, Katie. Hello, hello. Katie, I don't know what weekend plans you have lying ahead for yourself. I imagine somebody like you, perhaps fresh off the back end of this pandemic, ready to get out and have some fun. You might have plans already, but... If I could humbly suggest a weekend plan for you that keeps you on your couch for one more Saturday, I'd like to propose a suggestion here. Okay. I, you would be wrong about that because I don't have plans. So in fact, my calendar is open and I'm very curious to hear what you have to say. Oh, well, consider your plans <laughs> filled because you're going to be doing, or I would suggest that you do what I'm going to be doing this Saturday and watching the Eurovision Grand Final which is my my Olympics, my favorite thing to do on the music calendar. And for the first time in a long time, the, file, the final will be broadcast live in the United States on Peacock, the streaming service. And you don't have to use a VPN like I've had to do in the past and you know exist in a legal gray area. How much do you know about Eurovision, <laughs> Katie? How familiar, familiar are you with this amazing spectacle? I saw the movie that they made about it with... Will Ferrell. <laughs> I think it was him. Yes, Will Ferrell. <laughs> so, yes, yes. yes. So, uh, and Rachel McAdams, I want to say. That's right. Yeah. So I am very familiar uh, with it in that sense, but I've never watched it myself. And I did see that it was coming up, but I didn't know that I would be able to watch it on Peacock. So this is all good news to me. This is a win for you. And for those of you who haven't seen the movie that Katie was talking about, yeah, Will Ferrell did a movie about Eurovision. The movie is silly and it's over the top, but I'm telling you, Katie, it's not really a parody of Eurovision. It's pretty <laughs> they pretty much captured it. Like that's pretty funny. as silly as that movie was, that's what Eurovision like. Let me let me let me explain Eurovision as best I can here. And this is from an American's perspective, kind of outside looking in, okay? For a thousand years. In European history, this was a continent that did nothing but fight each other. Just acrimony, bloody warfare for a thousand years. And then one day they all decided, we're going to settle our differences, not with guns, not with tanks, not with bombs, but with really, really camp, kitschy songs that are incredibly over the top and amazing, ostentatious costumes where it's just going to be so big and so loud and so crazy. And every year Iceland has the silliest song and it's just wonderful. And I, and if you've never seen it, Katie, you need to make this the first year that you watch the Eurovision final. You've convinced me. And I really want to know like what the real deal is like now that I've seen the movie and you're saying it's pretty similar. So it's, I'm excited. It's pretty much like a, 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 they, they, they might have just shot an actual Eurovision to make that movie. Like, <laughs> as ridiculous as that movie is, it captured it pretty dang well. And here's the other thing you're going to get excited about, okay? Once you fall in love with Eurovision and you just enjoy your Saturday and you're going to say, boy, I wish we had something like this in the United States, where instead of all the different European countries competing against each other, each state competes with an original song against all the other states – well, you're in luck because it has now been announced that I believe starting in 2022 next year, we're going to have the American Song Contest, which is going to really? have that format. Can you imagine like Alabama against Massachusetts for like song dominance? Ugh. Honestly, no, but I want I want to see it. <laughs> My hope is that we do it just like Eurovision. I hope we don't take it too seriously because I could see in America we're going to try to like we're going to try yeah. to use it as a way to find the next big star and like the labels Absolutely. are going to make it so corporate instead of making it just silly and ridiculous and ostentatious, which is the way it should be. We're yeah. going to try to make it to America. And I hope we don't fall into that trap because if it's anything as awesome as the European Eurovision is, it's going to be fun to do in the United States as well. 
Yeah, that would be really cool to see if we can make that work and kind of have uh, something that brings the country together in that way. I feel like that would be so fun, so <sighs> fun to watch and root for your state All right. or not. <laughs> well, by the time this airs as a podcast, this show airs as a podcast, I believe we'll already know who won Eurovision. And so this is, so uh, we can't really do much uh, much pre-show on this. But uh, for those of you who are watching the, this program right now and are looking for what to do on Saturday, let's all watch Eurovision together. I'm going to live tweet it. It's going to be an absolute blast. Uh, speaking of things that I'm excited about, uh, even in this own show, great guest coming up in the second segment, Eli Ball. He's the CEO of Lyric Financial. There's a lot of folks getting into this movement nowadays, Katie, of alternative financial models for musicians, where instead of artists relying on a typical kind of record deal structure where we'll pay you in advance, but then that advance is coming out of all your royalties and you're going to be working off that advance for the rest of your life as a music professional. There are different banking organizations that are popping up and creating different approaches, including, you know, if you have a decent enough royalty stream from your streams, a company like this will give you an advance based on a prediction of what they think that streams, what those streams are going to net and give artists money now so they don't need to sign with some label. And a lot of those different models are starting to exist. So I'm excited to talk to Eli Ball and figure out what kind of things exist like that for artists. But first, a couple topics I want to talk to you about, including the Social Media Infinity Stone segment that we wanted to do like when we had you on a month ago and we didn't have time, but we're going to do it this week. I, I, <laughs> I, I've been just so excited to find out what the heck the Social Media, media Infinity Stones are, so we're going to get to that. First, I have a quick listener question uh, that uh, popped in that I thought would be a fun little discussion point here. If there's anybody listening or watching to this program who wants us to answer a question of theirs on the show, either about their entertainment career, maybe legal stuff. Uh, you know, Katie has a considerable amount of expertise in a wide range of music industry issues. She's a coach. She's a podcaster. There's a lot of stuff she can answer. If you have a question you want us to talk about on the show, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com or just send a uh, question to at breakthebusiness on Twitter. But the question I got this week definitely appealed to me as a lawyer do I need a trademark? Was what the question asker asked. And can I register for a trademark myself? Uh, great question. And certainly one that many entertainers are encountering. And as you pursue your careers as an independent creator, you do need to be more mindful of protecting your intellectual property because there might not be anybody out there to do it for you. So what a trademark does is it's protecting your brand elements, the way that you identify you out yourself out of the world. It differs from copyrights. Copyrights are protecting your works of art, your music, the things you write, the pictures you paint, create. Anything that's an original work of authorship is copyright. Trademark is protecting your brand. It can be anything from your name as an artist to the names of uh, to your logos to slogans that you have as a creator. All these things are potentially registrable. And for a lot of indie creators, every trademark case is a little bit different, of course. And you'll want to have a lawyer help you. But there are some commonalities that are pretty typical across most creators. Like, for example, uh, mo uh, when you're looking for what goods and services class to register a trademark of yours in, such as your professional name as an artist, you might want to look at class 41, which is uh, for entertainment services. Whether you are a musician that performs live shows or a live streamer or a podcaster, that's uh, those services that you provide in those areas are all going to be generally under class 41. And so that's one you look at. If you're a musician specifically, you might also look at registering your artist name or your band name in class nine, which is for sound recordings. If you have merchandise like, uh, you know, hats or jackets, that's class 25, which is apparel. And so, but yeah, you would need, you know, if, if you are operating in different goods and services classes, you would want to trademark in each class to uh, protect yourself. Now, unlike copyrights, which in many cases you might be able to register yourself without a lawyer's help. And there, and if and uh, if you need a little extra help, there's some great tech resources out there to help you register copyrights. Like Cosigned is really good for musicians to register their albums. But trademarks is one of those things where it can get really complicated and really tricky, even for simple registrations, that that's one that I would always recommend an artist talk to a lawyer and have them help you file. 
it, it, you know, it, it isn't cheap, but in terms of protecting your brand, it's very critical. Uh, prices that you could be looking at, every trademark registration is going to cost you somewhere between $250 and $350 per trademark, per goods and services category. And you'll probably want to double that if you're going to also factor in the amount of costs for an attorney to do these things for you. So it's not cheap, but it's absolutely worth it because protecting your brand can be very, very important. And federal trademark registration is important because once you get that federal registration, it uh, protects nationwide. Even in states where you're not doing things, you know, you're not making music, you're not touring. Once you get that federal registration, it is nationwide coverage, and that can be particularly valuable. we got a listener question here. So a question from our question that just popped into the comments. Uh, you mentioned a few shows ago that NBC owned a particular arpeggio of a C major triad, GEC, to reference <laughs> General Electric Corp. Would that be considered a trademarked material or a copyrighted material? Man, that's a good question. Here's why I love that question. One, because anything about trademarks is fascinating to me. And two, I literally just wrote a uh, scholarly article about this, about sound trademarks. Uh, specifically? Oh, my gosh. I was about to say, don't tell me you wrote it specifically about NBC. Well, that would be not crazy. about the NBC chime, but I absolutely referenced the NBC chime in my article because That's the awesome. NBC chime is, in fact, the the very first and, in many cases, most popular version of what is known as a sound trademark. So most trademarks are for things like brand names or logos. That's what most people consider with trademarks. But, And this is probably getting into the weeds, but I think it's fascinating. But other things can be trademarks too. A sound can be a trademark, such as a jingle like Nationwide is on your side. That is an actual registered trademark. Well done. Um, even smells. There are a few cases where like, I think there's a trademark registration for the smell of like a, a particular kind of marker that has like a maybe a grape smell or something. There are mm -hmm. there are very few. There's like less than five, but there are there are some registered smell trademarks. So anything that's capable of being sensed or perceived could be trademarked <laughs> if you can prove. And here's the tricky part: that when people experience that sight, smell, sound, that they think of your company. Wow. So that's that's where which it for gets NBC, tricky. like I definitely do. You hear that jingle, you know exactly what it is. That's exactly right. And and so to to, to get to our, our the question that just popped in there, generally sounds are copyrighted, right? A, a, a piece of music can be a copy copyright, but uh, something as short as a three note sequence like the G E C that would never be that that would be too short to be copywritten, but. It could be a trademark for a particular brand, right? If another TV network wanted to do that, three, th those three sequence of notes for their TV shows, they would not be able to do it because NBC owns that particular sound trademark. But you, you, you said it right there perfectly, uh, Katie. When you, when you hear those three notes, you know immediately what network you, you, you it is, right? And so yeah. that's why protecting those brands are so important. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of value for NBC in those three notes, and that's why they'd want to protect it. But, yeah, sound trademarks. I could do a whole show on it, but we'd lose all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool, though. It is it cool. Is cool. I, I mean, uh, it, it was cool enough that I, I, you know, I, I geeked out and wrote a whole article about it for a law journal because I think it's, it's really, really fascinating. And, um, you know— and and and, I, and it matters for musicians too, because the topic of my article I talked about it a few weeks ago is musicians putting sound trademarks in a piece of music, like when Pitbull makes that EO sound in all of his songs, mm. you know it's a Pitbull song. When Jason, oh, is it that same the same article? Yeah, that's what this article that we're talking about. about last time I was on. That's oh, okay, right. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So it all comes back to that. Yeah. Or when Jason <laughs> Derulo sings his name, that could potentially be a trademark, although he hasn't registered it yet. But yeah, it's to me that stuff's really fascinating. But not how as has Jason not registered his name? I feel like I he, don't. No, no. Well, that what? <laughs> well, to be clear, the name Jason Derulo. I, without having checking it, I'm sure that he has that word, that phrase registered for his music in probably a, a bunch of different categories. I'm sure of it. But what I do not believe is registered yet is him melodically singing that that series of notes in in the form of his name for for music the way that pitbull has his sound his scream registered 
So if I put it in my song, if I started my song with Jason Derulo, could he sue me or no? Ooh, that's a tricky question because even though he hasn't registered the mark, he might try to establish common law rights in the trademark. Because he already has a lot of songs. Because with he that. already like this is happening now with uh, the former Lady Antebellum. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I, I don't know how, how familiar you are with this story, but Lady Antebellum was a popular or is a popular country music band. And because of the connotation of the word antebellum and sort of we associate it with slavery in the Civil War. Right. Lady Antebellum said, all right, we want to change our name. We're going to change it to Lady A because that's what a lot right. of our fans call us anyway. And so, they, you know, they have the, regist- the trademark registration for Lady A. It's all good until they found out there is a singer in Seattle who's been performing under the name Lady A for like 10 years. She never registered the trademark, but she's been performing regularly under that name. And so now the the former Lady Antebellum, now Lady A, is embroiled in a bit of a trademark suit with the Seattle Lady A, who even though she didn't register that trademark, she does have some common law rights to that name because she used it first, and now it's a big, big mess. All the more reason why... It's important for artists to get their names registered as early as possible. Yeah, that's such a good point. All right. Wow. Man, that was way too much about trademarks. I want to talk <laughs> about this this thing that I we've been sitting on this topic for you for like a month. I don't fully know <laughs> what it means, but I'm so excited to hear about it. You have this thing that you call the social media infinity stones for musicians. As a Marvel dork, and as a music <laughs> dork, this just speaks to me, you know, in every direction. This is something you've spoken about in the past. I want to hear more about what this is. Okay. So last month, or probably two months ago now, I started on a journey with my mom and my brother to binge watch every single Marvel movie there ever was. And that's like 25. Okay. We watched them in chronological order of the storyline. And I'd never seen any of them before, but WandaVision really got us into it. So we decided let's start from, you know, the first, the first movie and go to the end. So (laughs) when I finished, you can imagine 25 movies later, you're pretty well into thinking about only Marvel (laughs) because (laughs) you just watched 25 movies about it. So I was having to create content. And at the time I was getting ready to, Uh, launch a whole offer a course I have around social media so I was doing a lot of content on social media and I got creative with it and I came up with the social media infinity stone so I combined uh, and it's funny because in it's a little bit meta because I talk about in when it comes to social media how artists you want to have personal connection points which are things that you like or that you're into that your you know fans or clients can connect with you on and you also want to provide value. And so with this, I'm like doing both because we're connecting with the metaphor of infinity stones. If you've seen Marvel, but it's also a way to like teach you really valuable information for essentially how you can grow your music career using social media and the key things that you need to uh, do in order to do that on social media. And is the idea that each infinity stone sort of represents or each social media infinity stone represents a different aspect of social media that artists need exactly. to master exactly exactly can, can you walk us through some of the stones i got i i need i need to keep this metaphor going i'm so excited now as a marble yes. dork here yes yeah, so there are six stones total so i'll give you a couple examples the space stone is one and the space stone basically means that you have control over your physical space on reality so when it comes to social media this means that we want to make sure that your profiles are clear are on brand clearly share who you are and what you do. This obviously includes like your profile picture, your bio, your links, your Instagram highlights, Uh, especially on visual platforms like Instagram. It's letting your aesthetic and your brand shine through on your visual profile. So Space Stone, control of your space, aka your profiles, because that's what it is on social media. I like this. (laughs) So the next one is the Mind Stone. So this allows the user to control the minds of others. um, Or in our case, it's quality content that influences and inspires people. We all know content is like the king on social media. It's the brain power behind success. And we have power to influence people. Like that's just the truth. So you want to use this stone to create quality, meaningful content. Um, 
that's either educational, inspiring, uh, but really it's just thinking about the fact that like your words and your platform matter and can positively affect others. And you you do that through your content. So we want to have quality content. So, and by the way, this is all on my Instagram. So if you want to visually look at this and just read through everything I'm saying, you can head to Instagram at Katie Zaccardi and there's a graphic swipe through that you can see. Um, but the next one is the reality stone. So the reality stone grants the user power to manipulate matter and reality. I think... <laughs> How are we going to do this, Ryan? This That's is what so, you're asking. This is so cool. <laughs> so many view social media as a highlight reel, but the truth is that like, it is up to you to decide what the reality of the platform is. I think that it really is a combination of staying real, like keeping it real, but also showing up in your authority and finding that balance there. And with that connection and even vulnerability go further than like illusions and kind of hiding behind a facade. So Use this stone to find your balance, stay within integrity as you show up on social medias and connect with others. And to me, that's one of the most interesting aspects of social media and what it means to promote artists because I'm, you know, I'm what the media is now calling a geriatric millennial. And so I'm old enough to remember <laughs> the very end of the era of how we used to promote artists. And the in the olden days, yeah. like 2001, before social media <laughs> roamed the earth, it was all about being as polished as possible. You needed the press kit. You had to get the perfectly airbrushed photos done by a professional photographer. And God forbid you ever let your fans see the real you. It, you could never let them see that. You had to be inaccessible. You had to be up in the clouds. And right. now it's the complete opposite. You need all creators need to harness that reality stone on social media yeah. because fans have the expectation of wanting to feel like they know the real you. They want to see you in your element. Yeah, you need a few airbrush photos and things like that still because you got to find that balance, but people want to feel like you're that they're part of your daily life and vice versa. And to me, that's one of the most interesting aspects of modern promotion for indie creators. That was absolutely not the case when I was first reading books about the music business in middle and high school. That is, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a cool development, but in a lot of ways, it's very, it, it levels the playing field for today's creators because yeah. anybody can do this sort of thing on social media, be, be vulnerable, be personal, be, in, be engaging. And, you know, it doesn't cost, you know, what it would cost to hire a professional, you know, photographer to, you know, give you that perfect airbrushed look. People don't want that. Totally. There's actually a lot of conversations happening on social media right now about the fact that a lot of TikTokers who built up a following on TikTok are now starting their own music careers. And so people are wondering like, you know, is this legit? Why is this happening? What does this mean? And I think that moral of the story is that the power of a fan base is so important. How do you get a fan base? You connect and you provide value. Well, you can't do that if you're constantly only posting, like you said, the airbrushed photos or the professional photos. Like you have to be able to show up in your day-to-day -day life and every day consistently uh, to provide value. And it would simply be financially probably impossible and also just like time-wise impossible to have everything look super professional because you can't get there until you get there, right? You have to start somewhere and you have to start just doing it messy almost and just meeting yourself where you're at. And it, that'll get you really, really far. I am so glad you mentioned TikTok and music and sort of the democratizing effect that TikTok is having on deciding who the next big music star is going to be. Yeah. I find myself following very closely the burgeoning music career of, God, I don't know if I'm going to get her name right. Olivia but, Rodrigo. Well, not well, Olivia I mean, Rodrigo for sure, but even, even more <laughs> recently than that, because she, I mean, she's number one on the charts, but... Uh, <laughs> True. It's not it's uh, hard I think her name it. is Bella Porch, if I have that right. Yes. Well, that's what I'm talking about. So a lot of people are like... You know, is she even singing it? Like, I saw some video of some guy suggesting she wasn't even singing it. And then another guy saying that, um, you know, what this says is that you basically just have to have a ton of money in the music industry because you have to get signed. And I was like, no, what this says is that Bella built up a huge fan base for herself. And then with that fan base, she probably caught the attention of someone or literally sought out a deal herself if that's what she wanted to do and had huge, huge um, negotiating power right. because she had a huge following. And so a huge following and an engaged following shows the labels 
that, you know, she's promising and probably going to make them money, which makes them want to invest. But like, you don't have to sign in order to do that. She could have just leveraged her fan base independently and still have had really good results. Um, but obviously, if you choose to go with a label or not, once you have that leverage, that's your choice. That is the path I'm I'm eager to see, right? We, we're starting to see the first generation of TikTok stars that are starting to bubble up on the Billboard charts a little bit. And, you know, it was Bella Porch, and you know before that it was, you know, Charlie D'Amelio a little bit, or... Um, you know, Olivia Dixie Rodrigo D'Amelio. or Dixie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all, all, all the whole D'Amelio family. Um, and, and then the path is right. You know, make a couple viral videos, build a fan base, um, and then get a record deal and then go yeah. the conventional route. What I want to see is the first example of an artist that can do it without the label path where instead of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go use this leverage and get signed. It's I'm going to use this leverage to build the empire on my own. And that's why I'm excited yes in the next segment when we get to talk to Eli Ball is because I'd be interested to see what an Eli Ball might think of somebody like a Bella Porch who, where they might look at her and look at what success she has and look at what fan base she has and, and say, we can create a financing model for you to get you the capital you need to start up this music career without the label, because you don't need the label for anything other than the money. Like, uh, yeah. Be- Bella Porch doesn't need the label for promotion. She's she became a, a pretty big star all on her own, and if yeah. she puts the record out, people will buy it. So really, all she needs is the money. But there's got to be ways for her to get the money that don't involve signing a deal and losing your masters and losing control yeah. over when you can make music and you know all the other baggage that comes with being with a label. I'm Absolutely. interested to see what that looks like. You know what the next star looks like. But I'm also interested in seeing just h- how Bella's. You know, what happens with this new release that Bella has out? I think the single is called Build a Bitch. And mm-hmm. I'm, ex- I'm interested in seeing, you know, how much cloud comes from TikTok. Is is that song going to, you know, really permeate Billboard, be a top five, top ten hit? That'll be pretty exciting to see. Yeah, it should be interesting. I have a feeling that the song is something that's going to go or like last a lot on TikTok, but might not have lasting power outside of it or uh, for very long in the real world, but I could be wrong. And also this is just one song. So, you know, who knows what, uh, what else she'll put out or what else she'll do after this. All right. Well, keep going with the stones. Cause I, I, I love <laughs> each of these stones and they, and they give rise to great conversations between us. I have an ear to ear smile on my face. This is great. Okay. So the next stone is the power stone and this gives its owner access to all power and energy that exists. So in order to use it on social media, we're going to use it to create authority on your platforms. Authority equals power. So focus on growing your know, like, and trust factor so your audience sees you as the professional musician. Or if you're a coach, a coach that you are, like I am, um, boundaries are also a really important part of upholding your authority, both in how you communicate on your platform and with your audience and in your relationship with the platform, like you don't want to have all of your time sucked by Instagram or TikTok and not be in control of your business, but rather have the app be in control of you. So you can create authority authority in a lot of ways. And a big part of it is just like showing up again as the professional that you are and showing yourself doing, you know, recording in the studio, showing the press that you're getting, reposting people talking about you on their stories, things like that will help to create your authority. I dig that. And I think there's a couple more. Okay. So next is the time stone, which is complete control over time. Now, obviously a lot of people want the answers of like, when exactly do I post and what's the best time and day to do this? Look at your analytics to determine that best you can. But the real key to to time is consistency. You can't predict how or when you will go viral or when something's going to stick, but you can stay consistent, which is going to give you a better chance to make an impact. So determine a posting schedule that works for you to share quality content consistently and consistently engage with your audience. And that's going to lead to sustainable growth. Do you advise the use of any sort of online tools to help you schedule posts like the Hootsuites or anything in that vein? I don't use Hootsuite. I think those ones are a little too complicated. Um, and it depends on the platform. Like Twitter, uh, I think using TweetDeck and Facebook, you can pretty natively schedule things within the platform. And I think that that actually works best. And then for Instagram, I like to use um, Planoly, 
or plan. And those are Instagram specific apps and they allow you to just kind of like photo dump a bunch of photos and you can write your captions in advance and things like that. Um, and for TikTok, I just create a bunch of drafts and then just post them out when I feel like posting them out. So uh, that's what I do. But I do think that planning in advance, I also have a very type A spreadsheet that I created. Of course. Where I basically plan, <laughs> like, let's be honest. So what I do is I plan out my social media ideas. Um, so I'll write like on Monday on Instagram, I'm going to do a post on the social media infinity stones. And then on Wednesday, this is the topic of my podcast. And on Thursday on my stories, I'm going to talk about this thing. So I'm mapping out the topics of what I'm going to do. And then I'm sometimes planning that content in advance, but sometimes just creating it more in the moment on the spot. But I already have an idea of what I'm going to talk about that day. And that helps me stay consistent personally so that I'm not showing up being like, what do I post? I don't know what to say. So I'm just going to say nothing. Uh, Cause that, that leads to lack of consistency. And then once you fall off the wagon, it's really hard to get back on and get back in the swing of things. So that's my trick. That's you no, know, that, and that's a really good point about whether it's, whether it's posting regularly or creating regularly. It's something I've heard from artists a lot where, which is what you said, the moment you kind of get off the, you know, if you, you lose the rhythm, it's hard to get back on it again. So it's always uh, important to kind of keep that creative uh, juices flowing and, and sort of using little tricks like spreadsheets and scheduling posts and things like that can help you stay consistent. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that's a part of my audience builder bundle. So if anybody's curious about that tool, you can message me, but I'm, I like it. I think it works very well. And then I use the scheduling apps to help me, you know, manage that content and schedule anything out that I need to love it. Okay, so let's talk about the last stone, which is the soul stone. So this stone gives you the ability to manipulate life and death, which unfortunately we can't do. So this stone is going to, we're going to take a, a, a little twist on that meaning. And, um, <laughs> take a little and creative use, license with the stones. <laughs> a little creative license. All right, it didn't all work out perfectly. Don't sue me, okay? Hey, look, five so, out of six stones, it ain't bad. <laughs> but you know what it still works because we're gonna infuse your soul into what you do so uh -huh. i'm talking about showing your personality and who you are and using your personal connection points to help you bond more with your audience so just like i was saying it's kind of meta this is a personal connection point i watch marvel if you watch marvel and you're reading this you're you're thinking about it you're you're seeing how we connect there because we both like similar things um and that helps us build a little bit of no like, and trust. And then by learning something from me, it goes even further, right? So, you know, don't blindly just follow trends or copy people. Get really clear on like what you want to say, who you want to say it to, and how, and what your own unique brand points are and selling points are and personal connection points are. And that's what's ultimately going to help you find success. And like I like to say here, with the combination of stones, you will be set up for ultimate domination on social media. I love it. And and and, and think about it. we could have lived in a world where instead of Thanos eliminating half of the universe, spoiler alert, <laughs> he could have just had a really kick-ass Instagram profile. Yeah. And think of how much yeah. better off we all would have been if, if he, he had snapped his fingers and done people. that instead. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. I like what you're you bringing. Know Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I, was just gonna say, I like what you, I, I like what you, you said here with the soul stone. Cause it gets back to what we talked about with one of the other stones about authenticity and, you know, the secret to success with, you know, these social profiles is letting an authentic version of yourself come out. Don't do, you know, the elder millennial old version of the industry where you have to, you feel like you have to give your fans something polished and beautiful and prepackaged and antiseptic. No, you, you know, it's all about, being personal, authentic, vulnerable, real, warts yeah. and all. I mean, not only will your fans be happy about that, but it's sort of the expectation that we now have of creators. Even the big-time creators. I mean, one of the things that I'm most interested in when I look at somebody like Taylor Swift, you know, by any objective measure, the biggest music star in the world, and she still takes a great deal of steps to present herself authentically. You know, she yeah. talks about things that matter to her. She shows pictures of herself that, you know, don't always look perfectly polished. And she places a premium on projecting a version of herself that, 
at least to her fans, appears authentic. I'm sure it's still carefully crafted and sculpted and curated because she's yeah. still a big yeah. star. But she understands that at least the projection of authenticity is critical to success in the entertainment business in a way that it wasn't 20 years ago. I use Taylor Swift as an example very frequently for a few things. I mean, and just to reiterate your point, you'll notice that when she was announcing her albums in the past year, it was often on Good Morning America because she seems to have a partnership with them. And it was just on an iPhone video, like with her just filming herself, like, hey, guys, here's here's what's happening. So um, that was really interesting. It's really interesting to watch her do that because you're exactly right. But I like to use her as an example because she did what we're talking about really early on. And it's super easy to think, you know, she's a huge artist. She doesn't show up that much online anymore. She's not consistently like posting or engaging with people. She can just like show up when she wants, which is true now. But back in the day, she was on Tumblr and on Twitter all of the time engaging with her fans, posting things for them talking with them, communicating with them, building relationships with them. And so it's that kind of work that really set the foundation for her to have super fans now, uh, which makes such a huge difference. Like the people who are Swifties, they are Swifties. Like they are diehards. So it, it really does make a difference when you take time to actually connect with your fans and like be a real person with them. Um, and yes, you have that authority of like, you are the artist and you need to uphold your personal boundaries and, and whatnot, but like being able to be a real person and not just like show up on a stage as if you're better than someone or, you know, different or whatever. It really makes a huge, huge difference. I think. No question about it. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Katie, but under break the business law, we have to compliment Taylor Swift at least once per show. So we've, uh, <laughs> we, ch- we can check that box off the list. And we're going to take a break now and bring on Eli Ball from Lyric Financial coming up uh, right after our messages here. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm, RKPA, does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Our guest is the CEO of Lyric Financial, a company that provides a full range of financial solutions for music artists, including royalty advances, catalog loans, and lines of credit. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.lyricfinancial.com. Let us welcome Eli Ball on to break the business. Hello, Eli. Yo, greetings from Nashville. Oh, so jealous. You just wanted to make us feel jealous by telling us the awesome city that you are in right now. I am located in Miami, Florida, where uh, it is, I'm just covered in sweat, even though I'm still in air conditioning because of <laughs> summertime and what it imposes upon us. I would love very much to be in Nashville, especially now as we're getting on the back end of this pandemic. I'm sure the music scene, Music Row, uh, all the bars there is, are going to be so, so exciting. But 
thank you so much for being here and uh, greetings to you as well. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Let me ask you something about Eli Ball, the person, before we get into your company that I'm very curious about. When I was told that we'd be interviewing the CEO of a financial services company for artists. I was envisioning somebody who did like 25 years at Morgan Stanley, some stuffy three-piece suit investment banker type. And only then do I find out that our guest is, is just like straight up cool music dude. Started out as a music producer, a festival promoter, just, you know, definitely has the music industry, cool music guy bona fides. Which then causes me to now want to ask you, what on earth got you into banking and financial services? Oh, we don't have enough time for that. <laughs> um, really, it was a career shift. I had had a good run in the studio and at a point in time, I had two children that needed a father. That's somebody running around the country blowing up speakers. So uh, uh, I came back to be a father. And they were living in Memphis at the time. And it's like, what are you going to do? When you've been playing at a national level for a long time, Memphis is an incredibly creative environment. It has some of the coolest vibes in the world for music but it's not an industry town. And so I, I, I honestly was looking for something different to do. I had no other skill set than blowing up speakers and working with, with artists. That was my skill set since college. So I was fortunate. I got to play at a, you know, at a decent level and I uh, had a good long run. And so I, basically took a couple classes at the University of Memphis. One was uh, uh, finance and the other one was was a business law class and did well in both and came out of it. And they both were interesting to me. The finance piece of it um, really when you think of finance, I mean, it's a very generic term, but I specifically got interested in um, structured finance and structured securities. And the tools that they use in finance that are used in finance, you know, there's some pretty creative things you can do with them. Same thing in accounting. Um, And it's not, that much of a stretch from making records. Yeah. So if you think about going into a studio with the same singer and the same song, everybody's got the same technology. Everybody's got access to the same musicians. And you take five producers, it'll come out sounding five different ways because they take those tools and they have, uh, you know, they have their own ears and their own vision of what they think should be done. In my case, uh, I'm much more of a hillbilly kind of white boy with an opinion. So if you had two types of producers, you would have the type that are very technical and they have a sound and you know the sound of that record two bars into the song. You know a Mutt Lang record, whether it's Def Leppard or Shania Twain, two bars into the song. You know a Brendan O'Brien record, two bars into the song. Sure. Um, So the other side is kind of what I call the old school uh, A&R producers, like Jerry Wexler, Sam Phillips, these days of Rick Rubin. They're not technical people. They're basically like super A&R people. They have a great sense of song, great sense of arrangement. Psychology is a big part of what they do with the artists that they work with. Um, And so every record sounds different. And if you think about banking, 
we all have the same tools. It's all about managing risk and cost of capital. Um, and so when you look at the tools, if you take five bankers, and I'm not speaking in terms of a retail banker, but you can look at bankers in a sense, almost in the same, same paradigm, which is that you have technical um, bankers that, you know, work with templates. And then you have bankers that basically look at the opportunity and then look at managing the risk with whatever tools are available. And the tools that I understood were how the music business operated, how the cash flows worked, the psychology of the customers, which is a big deal. Um, you have somebody, for instance, that's on a roll. And professional musicians aren't unlike professional athletes in that they have a window when they're in the zone. Yeah, they have that prime for sure. Yep. And there's no fear. But then after a time, the window starts to close gradually. And it will close on them. And in a musician's case, you know, the same as, the, as a professional athlete, um, you know 10 people that are equally as talented as you are, if not more talented, and they weren't in the right place at the right time. They didn't get the break. And you're, you never forget that. So when you're looking at, you know, where you're at in the zone, you're so busy going forward that you don't really have the opportunity to kind of take a step back. And unfortunately, success breeds um, a lot of company. And so you go from, especially um, with some of the, uh, as fast as the internet moves, you go from starving to, you know, rocketing up the charts. Hmm. And now all of a sudden you're not prepared to manage all of that traffic and relationships and decisions. You don't have an organization for that. And so what happens is you kind of put them together as you go along. It's, it's uh, anyway. So the psychology of banking to me is as important as the mechanics of managing the risk managing the expectations of the client. Um, sometimes that's not what they want to hear, but at the end of the day, um, it's exactly what they need to hear. Well, I'd like to learn a little bit more about what some of those financial services can look like specifically for independent creators, which are the folks that we are here to empower on this particular show. The idea of Structured financial vehicles existing in the music industry is nothing that, that that's that new, right? We have things like Bowie bonds going back, you know, quite a few years now where a lot of the more established artists have a wide range of financial vehicles that exist for their IP and also can get, you know, large advances from banks for various activities and can, you know, get just a wide range of financial business management services, but what I'm starting to see more recently now are a lot of those pretty interesting financial services finding their way toward independent creators, things like royalty advances for streaming royalties for independent creators or sophisticated business management services that today's indie creators are starting to need because they don't have a labels infrastructure to provide a lot of that. Can you talk about uh, some of the things that Lyric Financial does for the indie creator sector of entertainment? Well, I would I would disagree with your premise that the tools that are available to Beyonce aren't available to um, somebody working out of their bedroom. Hmm. Um, I remember specifically you guys were joking about Taylor. I remember when Taylor got signed, and you know it was literally sitting in a sitting in a room 
putting stamps on mailers of her music to send out to DJs. Huh. I mean, it just, um, yes, she had Scott Bruschetta, but I can think of 10 other acts that were signed around the same time um, by Scott or his team that in, in some cases had really strong records, but didn't go anywhere past that. And th I'm going to use an analogy that is uh, pretty dated. But back in my day, there were two artists that came out about the same time managed by Irving Azoff. One was Dan Fogelberg and the other one was Jimmy Buffett. And Dan Fogelberg wrote these amazing folk songs with amazing melodies. And he had this wonderfully gifted voice. And every woman on the planet wanted to give him roses. <laughs> okay. Jimmy Buffett was a journalist to start with for Billboard, I think it was. May have been Cashbox. And that was his hustle to get into the music business. And he's an okay singer. Um, he's an okay entertainer. But he really knew how to work the system. And he really listened to the people around him at how to build a business and a brand. Fogelberg, on the other hand, was just a pure artist. So he wasn't interested in any of that. Hmm. Well, that, that actually but does he, track. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to say if you back then, I, I'm trying to think of, the, it, 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 of something that's akin to it. But um, where you have two artists of a similar stature starting out and one of them has every gift in the world available to them that you can think of if you draw it on paper. And then there's Nick Cave, who's an okay singer, a brilliant, brilliant songwriter. Um, who has stood the test of time through the punk wave when he came up and is now playing with symphony orchestras and his own, you know, around the world now has his own, not a particularly handsome guy. Um, and has a new, from what I understand, eight room exhibit at the, uh, top museum in Denmark for all his creative works. Wow. Well, I mean, or, ben or Ben Folds, another Renaissance man or Renaissance artist. Katie, that tracks pretty closely with what I'm sure you've experienced a lot in your coaching work, right? Where if you had to, if you had to pick between a, somebody who had all the talent in the world, but didn't have a lot of the other skills and, you know, the business savvy versus somebody who yeah. was just a moderate talent, but really understood the ins and outs of their business, listened to their team and had a very clear vision for what they were trying to accomplish and had the hustle to back it up. You're going to bet on the second one every time, right, Katie? Definitely. And I'll say too, working with artists, I am always surprised in a bad way, how many artists don't know about managing their finances. And you mm. hear people say it all the time. Like if you can't manage a thousand dollars, you can't expect yourself to all of a sudden be able to manage a hundred thousand dollars when you make it. And I think that's what people think is just like, I should make more money. I should get more money. I need to do this, but you really have to have that foundation and also be savvy about figuring out how you can then grow your streams of income. But I think that like financial literacy is such an important uh, topic to be focusing on in the music industry because there's not a lot of it. And again, I'm really surprised when I meet with artists and they don't know some of the basic stuff that you'd expect them to know and that you need to know as a business owner, which you are when you're an artist. Eli, are there any resources you'd recommend for artists who want to you know, build their financial IQ up a little bit? We're actually building something for it. All right. <laughs> Good timing. Um, the, uh, 
the challenge these days is that the music industry is so fragmented uh, because of technology and the change in consumption that, I mean, it's even reframed, reframed what a single is. Used to be a single was three minutes or even in the fifties or sixties, two and a half minutes, right? Then you had FM radio and all of a sudden singles didn't matter and you could have a 10 minute intro to a song. Um, now you have TikTok and now it's a 10 to 15 second song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's no less, I, I was on a, a webinar earlier today and, and with some industry folks and having grown up on the creative side my whole life, it's, you know, beauty's in the, in the eyes of the beholder. Um, you can't, to say, to judge one person's art over another person's art, you certainly have your opinion. And if you're a company, you certainly have the right to choose which ones you want to make an investment into. But at the end of the day, the market will tell you whether you know what you're talking about or you're full of shit. So, and, and pretty much every artist of merit that came up, came up being rejected by everybody else. Oh yeah. And it was that very difference, that, that very difference in what they did and what they said. Look at Lyle Lovett. I mean, dude was married to, Julia Roberts for a while. <laughs> when you see him perform live, he doesn't move a muscle. And yet he captures you with his sense of timing, with his wit, um, with what he says, uh, and an incredible voice of his. And yet you put him next to, uh, he holds his own against a Bruno Mars who's absolutely the epitome of, you know, one of the best entertainers ever. Um, so again, it, it, I mean, you're looking at it and you go, okay, technology has changed things so much for now. It is, you don't have two or three places where you make your income. You have two or three dozen and they keep coming at you. Definitely and you're not even getting dollars. You're getting yeah. paid in thousands of a penny. <laughs> so uh, the idea, and this goes all the way up the food chain um, to including, you know, big time business managers. They can't keep track of everything. They literally can't. So they effectively reconcile payments with statements. Th they have no tools for it. Yeah. So it's like logging into 14 websites, remembering those passwords, downloading those Excel sheets, which are all in different formats, and then trying to figure out how to reconcile them and correlate one with the other. You can't do it. Yeah. And doing that in real time and then turning around the four or five times a year, if you're lucky, that you engage with your client, the artist – and you're going to show him a bunch of spreadsheets doesn't fly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I, I, I just looked at it and said, you know, we really need um, a mint.com type dashboard where you can literally link all of your accounts together and have the machine do all the reconciliation for you and present it in a user format that is easy for whether it's an accountant or it's just a kid playing in three bands to make a living to keep track of how much did I make last month? Where did it come from? And when am I getting paid? That fills a huge need for creators, especially as diverse uh, as revenue streams for creators continues to diversify. There's, uh, I'm glad that your company's on the forefront in terms of finding technology that fills this need. 
Viewers, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting lyricfinancial.com. Eli, we, we appreciate this. If for no other reason that you've just given me so many great names for artists that I want to create a playlist for. Like I I I, <laughs> I mean, you reminded me of Nick Cave again. And between Nick Cave, Jimmy Buffett, Lyle Lovett, like that's a playlist <laughs> I'm going to enjoy tonight. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Eli, before we let you go, one last question that we ask all of our guests on the program. Do you have any last tips to share with the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I have two. Bring it. Um, You're running a business. Act like it. I love that. Yep. That doesn't mean that you have to do everything. What it means is you are responsible making sure that it gets done. And the second thing is, especially with streaming artists, they're very, uh, they're, I don't want to say this. Most of the indie artists, we have a, a virtual ATM that we built several years ago with TuneCore or for TuneCore. It's processed. 25,000 advances in 32 countries for them. It processes advances in less than 30 seconds on your phone wow. for, their, for their customers. And TuneCore is obviously an indie distributor. And the advances, you know, go from $250 to 50000 And you get them in, you know, you process them in 30 seconds. It doesn't get any better than that. Um I can't tell you the number of artists and I was on the phone with one today that's making, you know, roughly $30,000 a year from her royalties uh, in streaming is not registered with either one of the PROs, even though she writes and publishes the songs, is not registered with sound exchange has been doing this for five years. And, um, so the second piece is that it's very important to register your music, um, in the proper places and make sure it's registered correctly. Or else you're leaving royalties on the table. Yeah. I mean, I basically said, you've got my number now. Have your husband call me. We'll get him hooked up. But I can't tell you the number of people that didn't even know what Sound Exchange was. And they're the featured artists. (laughs) That's their BMI and perform. That's their performance income. Yeah. So anyway, those are my two things for the indie artists. Don't ever stop doing what you do. Oh. Eli, this has been an absolute treat, my man. Thank you for all that you do for indie creators, helping put dollars in their pocket and simplifying their financial life. Uh, don't be a stranger. Love to have you on again real soon and uh, take care. And, and Katie, if you, if you want to come up here and do some coaching, there's a whole bunch of songwriters and musicians here that could use your call. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Yeah, we'll definitely connect because I'm all for empowering musicians and helping them get wealthy. Be well. Oh, so, so cool. Um, You might not know this about me, Katie. I'm a, I'm a huge, like, underground kind of Nick Cave fan. And, you know, I used to play his music all the time at college radio because he had an album that came out right when I was in college. And I just fell in love with his music. And I completely forgot about him until uh, Eli brought him up just now. I'm like, oh, my God, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Yes, I got I to gotta get back into his music again. <laughs> and so for that reason alone, that, that interview is worth the price of admission for me, not even counting the great financial advice he gave, just providing his perspective on how the industry has changed and the power of technology to take the unpredictable and often inconsistent nature of how artists make money today and simplifying it and making it more consistent with the power of technology, automatic advances, the the virtual ATM technology. So, so cool. Yeah. I encourage uh, artists, check this out. Go to lyricfinancial.com to learn more. Uh, this has been uh, an absolute treat. I mean, the, the, the great guests just keep on coming, Katie. I, I want to tell you before we head out here, 
who we have coming up the next few weeks because it's pretty darn exciting. Uh, next week, we've got the founding, one of the founding members of NWA Arabian Prince and Paul Hershenson are going to be coming in to talk about their new artist incubator, or so not, 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 not an artist incubator, but an incubator for underserved community entrepreneurs called Incubate Next. So excited to see what Arabian Prince is up to. June 2nd, one of my favorite live streaming musicians, Mary Amber, is going to be on the show. I've only had her on Break the Business about a thousand times because I adore having her. She's <laughs> so good at Twitch and just uh, t- between Twitch and YouTube just has video mastered. So much great advice she's going to impart. And then, of course, June 9th, uh, you know, we got this Katie Zaccardi person coming on. Joined by joined by one of, another one of my favorite people in the music biz, Bree Noble going to be uh, sharing some great perspectives on coaching. Uh, do you want to give us a preview, a little bit about what we might be expecting on June 9th with you and Bree? I'm excited. Sure. So Bree and I have partnered up uh, this summer for a program that we're actually running together called Out to Launch, which is to help music music teachers, music coaches, or musicians who, speaking of like adding another stream of income, are thinking about adding another stream of income and want to start doing one of those things to launch that offer out into the world. So We've got a quiz set up already that you can take at katiezacardi.com slash quiz to help you figure out what kind of offer would be the best fit for your business. And when we come on, I think we'll talk all about that and talk about like why you should consider expanding your streams of income, what might be the best fit for you and how you can actually pull it off. Gosh, that's going to be so, so great. I, I'm excited for that. It's been a real treat hanging out with you this week, Katie. Uh, just just so, so awesome. Always love having you on and uh, appreciate you taking the time and hanging out with us. It is always a pleasure. And thank you for entertaining my infinity stones. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll dazzling. be back. <laughs> we'll be back on the ninth with uh, some other fun content for you all the next time I'm back. Um, but it sounds like you have amazing episodes lined up in between now and then. So I'm excited to listen. Fantastic. And uh, thank you all uh, for, for listening or viewing the show. Please continue your support of us. Follow us on Twitch at break the business. Follow us on Twitter at the BTB podcast. Uh, we, you know, we're trying to build a cool little community here for indie creators. We do this as a labor of love, uh, to, to, you know, give back to the community of artists that have given us so much. And uh, we hope that you join us, uh, in this journey. Thank you all for watching or listening, depending on how you're uh, taking in this program. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.